This Podcast Movement 2022 audio session is brought to you by Supporting Cast, the best way to sell and deliver exclusive podcasts. And special thanks to PM22 Virtual Ticket Presenting Sponsor, Amazon Music. We made it. It's Friday. It's been a long week. Um, it's getting hot outside. There's more crickets outside. So if you guys, um, I, I brought some in as well. So if you jump up, I'm sorry. But uh, welcome to this panel. Today we're talking about consolidation in the podcasting space and how it can benefit indies. So the dreaded C word that we're going to be talking about. And I am here with some of uh, my closest friends in the industry and some new friends that I met today um, from different aspects of the business. So from audience growth, from monetization, and then from the indie side. So, uh, oh, who am I? I am John Dionora. I am the Director of Revenue Partnerships for CNN Audio. I've uh, been in the podcast space now for 15 years. I spent some time at iHeart. I was brought into podcasting by the lovely Sarah Van Mosel in 2016. Um, and now we've come full circle. I am on a stage with her, and I am super excited. So with that, I will let them introduce themselves. I'll start with Sarah. Hello, everybody. Happy Friday. You made it, as John said. Um, I'm Sarah Van Mosel. I am uh, EVP of the iHeart Audience Network, which we can get into. Um, I started in podcasting back in 2010 at WNYC. Uh, also sort of uh, started the U.S. Uh, sales team at ACAST. And then uh, worked with Market Ingenuity and PRX. Later was CRO at Stitcher and finally uh, made my way to iHeart. So I'm here with the perspective of revenue for sure. <laughs> Mary? Hi, I'm Mary Asadolahi. I'm the Vice President of Realm, which is a primarily scripted fiction podcast network. Um, we have both a studio and a distribution network where we work with uh, further, further indies. Um, it's funny to be the indie on this panel because we actually have 80 shows in our network and I feel like that's broad shoulders. But, um, but I, I'm responsible for monetization, audience development, do a lot of marketing. That's where my background is. Um, and yeah, we came into podcasting in 2021, but we've been doing audio entertainment in the fiction space for about six years. So we kind of entered into a different, uh, in, into podcasting in a slightly different manner. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Hital Patel, um, and I am an EVP of um, uh, data and analytics at iHeart. So all things audio, essentially, from measurement insight standpoint, um, radio, digital audio, and including podcasting. So I'm here to provide a POE from an audience and consumer insight standpoint. Amazing. And like I said, I am John Dionora. I have been in podcasting now for a long time uh, with, with iHeart out of college for 10 years, then with Acast for four and a half years, and then now most recently with uh, CNN Audio. And I still remember on day one walking into the ACAST office with Sarah Van Mosel, and we went into a really weird studio because it was still very Indian. I think it was a bedroom. It's like a loft in yeah. Soho. Oh no, no, it was above Jill Zarin's fabric store in the Lower East Side. Yes. That's where it was. And, and we had to have a bed in the office because it was a, a weird work livery like space, and we didn't want to get sued. <laughs> um, but we, we went into this conference room, and she said, podcasting 101, we're dealing a lot with a lot of indies, and they care about three things. They care about their, their show and the quality of that show. They care about their audience, and they care about revenue. And if the show is good and the audience is strong, the revenue will follow. But if the show is bad and we jeopardize that, they're never going to want to talk to us again. So let's focus on indies and building that. Um, 
and that stuck with me for a long time. And I, I look at this conversation as those are the three topics I want to talk about. The shows and the audiences, how do we build those audiences, and then ultimately, how do we find revenue streams? Because that's all changed. Um, and we're going to talk about that consolidation over the last six years. But I guess I'll throw it to Sarah. Like, what have you, you've been doing this for a little bit. What have you seen in the changes of the landscaping from tech, uh, the major players? And I mean, now you're saying with iHeart, it, it, things have changed. Yeah. I would say my career is almost like a parallel path to the consolidation in the industry, right? So I started at WNYC because, uh, if, you've, if you've seen me talk before, if you know me, because I loved Radiolab. Like, I literally just wanted Radiolab to live another day, <laughs> and that was my, like, sole purpose. And so we got there, and Radiolab was a huge radio show, and it also was a huge podcast, but we had no idea how to monetize it. How do you get the ads in there? How do you even count? downloads. What's a download? Are you counting it down? So literally from scratch, we figured out, you know, how to do dynamic ad insertion, how to put it all together with a lot of, you know, support from the DR community and also the brand community. My friend Corey Boudelier was here along with me <laughs> with, with the journey at WNYC. But it started there. And then as I moved sort of through my career path and through these organizations, it was always into like, it started in that really indie space. Again, ACAST was all about indies. It was all about sort of how do you give an indie a chance to live to create another day, right? And for me, again, with the revenue hat on, revenue is the key to that. You know, creators are amazing and they're the lifeblood of this industry, but they need money <laughs> to do their thing. And so it's always been about how to get the money to them quickly, efficiently, and in a way that doesn't make them compromise the values or the quality of their show. So then when I moved into Market Ingenuity, which was the sales arm for PRX and Radiotopia, again, I'm living in this indie world. It was quasi-public radio, but they were still indies. They were bigger indies, like TED Talks Daily, would you call that an indie? They're kind of establishment indies, but they still had that same need for growth, and that's when the growth really started to accelerate Everyone was on the same page with measurement. Dynamic ad insertion was just a thing. And then when I moved over to Stitcher and sort of got that team ready to go out to market for acquisition, it was about, okay, dynamic ad insertion, we gotta talk about scale. There are so many shows that deserve the right to you know, make that money grow and really become a part of this space. So back then, it really felt like you couldn't participate fully in the game if you were an indie, it was like there were, there were those who were in it and were viable targets for acquisition, and then there was everybody else. And now at iHeart, I feel like the consolidation is actually an unlock for indies because it's gotten to that point where any platform that you're gonna host and distribute on could potentially have a plug into this revenue stream because we've advanced so far. And again, you know, in my nerdy podcast way, the, my ability to impact creators even further down the long tail has just been, you know, amplified because we can turn on this technology today. So to me, it makes complete logical sense, the path that I've been on. It's the same true north of, like, fund those creators. That's the key to all of this. If the show is good, the audience will be there, and the money will be there. Exactly. And now... Audience growth is super important, and we, we've seen this, this hockey stick growth of people who are consuming content. New categories are coming through, new listening groups. You know, when I joined podcasting, it was a lot of white males. All right, now we're seeing 
LGBTQ, we're seeing female voices, a lot of great new companies. Hotel, what are you seeing in the, the audience growth and, and what, just the demographics and what's changing? Yeah. So, like I said, I've spent the last decade following the consumer, right? Like we study the consumer across all audio consumption. And in podcasting, we're seeing some amazing trends, right? So it's no news to anybody in this room that podcasting is growing in popularity. Uh, in fact, one of the very interesting stats I came across recently was in 2023, globally, we're going to hit half a billion consumers in podcasting, which is phenomenal, right? So we're we are continuing to see this growth, and I don't see it stopping anytime soon. Uh, but it's not just the size of the audience that's growing, right? The type of audiences this medium is drawing in is also diverse and very, very different. So for example, US is a huge market and continues to be one of the huge, uh, biggest markets when it comes to podcasting. But from just the sheer size and numbers, China and Brazil are up there too. And so with the type of global listenership that you're seeing, the type of languages, the type of content that's coming, that's coming into the medium is equally diverse. Also, if you think about US, the fastest growing audience in the last decade has been Hispanic listeners. So we are starting to see a lot of diversity of languages, creators coming into the medium, and along with that come listeners. So listeners, also to your point, it used to be predominantly a Caucasian medium, not so much because you are inviting a lot of, and it was a little bit of a chicken and an egg. The content didn't exist for the diverse consumers to come into this medium. And now that we are welcoming creators of all types, listeners of all types are also coming into the fold. Amazing, now you mentioned audiences, but they still gotta listen to content, right? And what Mary is focused on with your business is scripted fiction, which I've heard nothing last year, never heard about it, maybe one or two panels about it, it was new. There was a couple of shows, a couple of celebrities did it, they made a lot of money, great. But now, four or five panels talking about scripted fiction. Can you explain to me the universe of scripted fi fiction, why you created, who you're trying to reach, um, and any kind of you know, struggles or advice for people who want to create this kind of content? Yeah, I, uh, we've been very, we've been trying to be very noisy over the last year, so I'm glad that you've noticed. Um, I mean, it's interesting to think about consolidation in this context because I also think about a lot about consolidation in the context of the content side that we've experienced over the last year. We came into, we've been doing, as I mentioned, we've been doing audio entertainment for the last number of years and releasing it exclusively on our app and platform, which was then Serial Box. We did a major rebrand last year. And so we've been, we've been growing content. We had about 60 shows that we made. Um, <clears throat> they, were combined, they were primarily audio, but there was always like a reading component. People could switch back and forth. We, culti we were focused on cultivating audience based on the shows that we made because we wanted to make the shows. And we wanted to do the shows that we wanted to do. We wanted to make sure that they were at the production quality they needed to be. We really did truly focus on shows first and then audience second. But you can't do one without the other. And speaking to like need for diversity and inclusion in all elements of, of story and content and creators, like that's sort of been our North Star all along. And a lot of the reason why we started the company and have been doing what we've been doing. When, when there were sort of different things happening in podcasts where, you know, mo different monetization opportunities were opening up with subscription, and also, frankly, you know, growing a closed environment audience is extremely hard, takes a very long time, and it's extremely expensive. And so we're like, well, we have 60 shows. <laughs> 
We know that they're good. We know that we've attracted a, this really engaged super fan base. Like, what would happen if we made this free and put it into an app where we don't have to get someone to understand what the app is and download it on their phones? So really, like, you know, taking the shows, the content that we know was, like, sort of tried and true and exactly what we wanted it to be. We then brought it to audience. Um, and we're like, what would happen if we put the, just drop this in and like billions of listeners had access to it? And what we saw was like explosive growth. We didn't think about revenue at first. We, we were like, let's just see what happens. Let's make sure we're, we're right about this and that there's a there there. And there was definitely a there there. We sort of had exponential growth. And then, um, and then we're like, OK, what do we do with revenue? <laughs> and so, so I think that in terms of what I would advise people to do, it's, it's exactly what you started out this panel with, like, which is make the content that you want to make. Because if you try to force it into like, well, I think this is what people, I saw this trend or whatever, it just won't resonate. And then if you build it and then take it to people that are really, truly engaged and, and, and wanted and that you're talking to, then you'll develop audience and then revenue will follow. So, you know, I think it's about partnering with the right people to access, to do that work for you so that you can focus on the creative and on authentic engagement with your audience. And then working with folks like us on the network side to, to work with folks like Sarah on, um, you know, on, on a revenue side and build those pipes, you know, to kind of manage the business so that you can do the important stuff without which none of it is possible. One of the really smart things that I saw Realm do specifically could do because they were such a, a, a scripted fiction focused network was this flywheel effect. Mary, talk a little bit about how the shows begot more audience, begot more audience because you were so smart about like windowing and also the kind of content and the way you like targeted, you know, promoting other shows that you knew folks would like in sci-fi or in horror or things like that. It was a really cool way to build audience quickly. Yeah, I mean, we were lucky because we had so much, so many shows. Um, and so, you know, at the beginning, when we first came into podcast, we launched with 10 shows. We knew that our, from our own data, there were a lot of people who would cross over from show to show. And again, when we put that in a bigger ecosystem, we thought that would happen, but then you have a lot more, a lot more people, which means they're less engaged, they're less super fans. You don't know for sure that that will be the case. We focused exclusively on cross-promotion for the first few months of our, of our work. And we, we didn't run any ads. We only ran promotions for our own shows. We scripted them very well. We spoke to, like, you've just heard a show with this theme. There's a, this, like, it might, you might go from sci-fi to a drama, but they both have this element of, you know, shared connective tissue. Um, and, it, and it converted it, like, up to 12 times the industry average in, in sort of cross-promotional cross tools. And so, um, you know, as you get bigger, your conversion rates go down because you reach more people, but they're still so much stronger than we've seen anywhere else. Um, and we've used it to really drive audience show by show. I mean, the single most effective thing in, in launching a fiction podcast is feed drops. I think that's probably true for other, for other types of genres as well. But we do feed drops and ad swaps for every show in the network. We see great crossover. We see people talking on social. Um, we just, it's just, it, it truly has become like sort of a, a like a swirl of, of activity that has driven awareness of fiction. Because as soon as people get into one, then they really want more. Um, and there isn't that much of it. So, you know, it's, it's, we're sort of cultivating that um, very nicely, but as a flywheel effect. That, that behavior is so interesting, right? Because we've seen that time and again, more understanding of your audience or audience analytics brings in more creators. 
by bringing in more creators, you bring in more listeners. By bringing in more listeners, revenue follows. And like that's the ecosystem. Then that's how those chain and links are connected. Yeah. So discovery is one of the hardest nuts to crack in our industry. You know, back in 2008, 2009, Apple was the king. Now there's Spotify, there's iHeart, there's Acast, there's Padre. So there's so many companies out there trying to help indies get discovered. What would you say is the best way to get discovered now? Like outside of actually doing feed drops and, and having those relationships, is there anything that we haven't spoken about? I know QR codes are super hot right now. Everyone has a QR code and they're clicking. Um, I've seen a couple buses in New York City that have indies on it now. Just buy a bus campaign. Yeah. It's all good in New York City. I've got that in my back pocket right now. What, 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 are you, what are you seeing that you have tested that actually works surprisingly well that you're like, wow, that, that, was, that was weird? I mean, it's the most effective things truly are cross promotions within shows that are appropriate for the audience. And I think what, the, I guess the mistake that I see made in this is like if, you, if you're talking to a major network, they're like, we'll give you X number of free impressions for, with, if you work with us. And, but it's like across all categories. So you end up getting you know, a, a sci-fi show promoted on like a sports podcast. And they're like, well, we gave you the impression. <laughs> I was like, well, it didn't convert. So I think being extremely thoughtful about how you, not only what shows you're promoting on, who the creators are, what opportunities that has to talk about the show differently, how you're like scripting those cross-promotional um, pieces of information. Like all of that is just incredibly important and it's labor intensive, it's time intensive, it's no, there's no like, it's not a magic, it's not a magic key where you're like, okay, I did this thing and suddenly I have a billion listeners. Um, I think the other thing, you know, the other thing that I've found, um, really exciting is, is just bringing creators together to talk about what they do. There's so much passion in, in podcast creation, and you don't really, I mean, you can kind of like assume like, wow, this is a really cool show, I bet it was hard to make. You have no idea how hard this stuff is to make, and the people who are making it are doing it as a labor of love. They're doing it because they can't not do it, and I think that really comes through if you have different opportunities for creators to talk to each other. Yep. And with, uh, with the the networks, like bringing it back to the whole how does consolidation benefit indies, networks want people to listen on their platforms, right? So we want people to listen to podcasts on the iHeart app. Stitcher folks want people to listen to podcasts on the Stitcher app. Folks can reach out directly to these platforms, to these networks and say, listen, if you'll promote my show, I'm happy to say among the many platforms that people can listen to my show, I'll, I'm happy to include yours as well. It's not like an exclusive one. I mean, I'm sure you can cut deals in all kinds of flavors, but it's an option. You know, now that these platforms, you know, need creators to need listeners, like it's, it's a, again, it's that if there's good content on the platform, that will drive listening on the platform, even if that network doesn't represent that content for sales. It's good, right? It's mutually beneficial. So don't be shy about reaching out to iHeart, to Stitcher, everybody knows, you know, the Apple folks, like just, you know, to the networks so that they can, you know, do a little, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, because it will yield audience. Oh, uh, no, I was just gonna say, um, from a discovery standpoint, if I can chime in, um, you know, we run a ton of consumer studies tracking where people are discovering podcasts, and, you know, surprisingly, obviously, media plays a role, but non-media, still recommendation from friends and families goes a really long way in the podcasting medium, you know? And I've seen that time and again, anecdotally, across people, too, when you, like, kind of pull a 
couple of people and ask what you're listening to right now and you ask them where you, how you got on to listening to that, I bet you at least half of them will tell you somebody told me to listen to this podcast. So that definitely plays uh, a role in there. And from a media standpoint, I think there are huge generational differences as well as to how people are discovering podcasts uh, and the choice of um, your music affinities play another role as well. So there was a little experiment we ran a couple of years ago at iHeart where what I tried to do was line up people's musical preferences to their podcast listening genre preferences and I kind of map out that if you are cross-promoting on radio to drive listening to a podcast, should you do CHR formats when you're trying to you know, promote a, a fiction podcast? So there are affinities that we've built that help inform that kind of promotion for artists. We've got to talk about this because I want to know, <laughs> I want to know what, these, what these things are. I wanted to mention other, one other thing that was surprising um, is that there's, like, I had hoped that there would be sort of a natural organic network effect for when we brought on indies, like individual creators brought on their podcasts, some of which had been out for like 15 years. Um, we, we'd hoped that there would be some sort of natural swirl. So it's like not all, well, what thing that you do equals growth, right? We want to just like have a rising tide in general. And, and I, but I wasn't sure it would happen. I spent many years trying, as a publisher, trying to figure out like, is there something in the metadata or, or timing or whatever with Amazon that makes books rise and rank and become more organically discoverable? And like, you never can figure that out as someone on the outside of these things, but you can kind of make guesses based on a number of tests. And one thing that we, what we see pretty consistently is when, when we have a show come into the network, it just naturally vaults in the charts. And it doesn't necessarily go to like number one, but it might go from like number 300 to number like 23. And, and that's without doing anything. So I think that there's something with like, again, I think the size of the network matters. Um, and I, I imagine that this is less, less the case with bigger networks with more shows. But for us, if we have, like, let's say we have a few shows that we're launching and they're getting the most attention in terms of promotion, PR, all that stuff, the other shows in our network benefit from that just by association. Um, and we've seen that trend so consistently that that was a surprise and a very, very pleasant one. Yeah, we, we've seen over the last year or two, Apple now is putting categories in, in their app so you can say here's the, the Realm uh, list. So people can find shows that way where before it was just a you know, scroll and, and see what we can find. I do want to jump over to the revenue aspect of this, right? We, we want to see how can we get indies paid. And like I keep going back to 2016 when I joined really in, in this space, but it was all over. It was the wild, wild west. Everywhere you would go, they would say, well, who's hosting, who's distributing, who's monetizing? Where's the data? Can we track it? Is there attribution? What can we do? And everyone started acquiring companies and really making it a one-stop shop. But the one thing I'm still seeing, and I, I asked this question to one of my uh, longest friends in the industry who's a media buyer and she was here at Podcast Movement. How many people do you have on your Rolodex if you had to blast out all the shows to find a show for a, a, a Capital One or Indeed or you know, some basket? How many people can you email? And she's like, 37. <laughs> there are 37 networks of buyers who are all playing for the same bucket of money, right? So it's, it's very difficult to really monetize that. Um, but now what we're really seeing is that the technology is allowing us to create scale and reach and regardless of the size of show, you can have 5,000 listens or 500,000 listens, we can all be in the same field. And I think what Sarah's doing at iHeart is really intriguing for indies and I would love you to dig deeper into the iHeart um, audience network and what you're doing and how that affects indie and then we'll have so many questions about this, but Sarah. <laughs> no, no, no. Thank you for indulging me. Um, so essentially, 
the, the norm prior to IAN was really every network after consolidation would have a tech stack, right? There would be a hosting and distribution platform, there would be ad tech, and there would most likely be some sort of programmatic network related to efficiently buying across all the shows in that network. So, and, and everyone had one. Spotify has one, AdsWiz has one with SXM, um, you know, iHeart has their own thing with Triton. Um, and so, when I started thinking about IAN, which stands for iHeart Audience Network, we could just do that too. And there would be, you know, you got team red, team green, team blue, go for it, choose your team. <laughs> or, or we could think about it a little bit differently, right? So what if there were a world, and again, I'm coming at it from the creator's point of view, where no matter what platform you chose, let's say for example, you chose Omni, right? Because that's in the iHeart Triton stack you know, you'd have access to Triton's programmatic, you know, marketplace. But what if you could also have access to Megaphone? What if you could also have access to Podwave? What if, you know, the fact that you're a creator and you are not 100% sold out, you choose your primary partner, right? Choosing your primary partner is very important because that's the team that's going to sell your show specifically, right? They're gonna sell your host reads, they're going to pitch you as a show on a plan, they're going to be beholden to you because they made a deal with you for exclusive representation of your inventory. But what I'm trying to do with IAN is move us into a world where we kind of have multiple partners, but of different priorities, right? So you have your primary partner and you still sort of honor that relationship, but you also have secondary partners. Now you have the ability to not just be frustrated if your primary partner can't sell your inventory out 100%, you have other options for selling out your inventory. And you can place them at a lower priority so they never impinge on your primary partner's ability to sell you out 100%. I mean, ideally they would, but the only reason you would consider you know, in, inserting other sources of revenue is because you're not. And let's all admit that it's a rare show that's 100% sold out all the time. So in this brave new world that I'm envisioning, it's about how creators prioritize their collection of partners, right? Choose your primary partner, have that specific deal, but also have a backup plan. And in that universe, that backup plan is for everybody. What if my team sells their primary partner shows but needs scale in a particular demographic that we don't have enough inventory of our own in? Now we can pair the one-two punch of exactly the right shows with exactly the right hosts with exactly the right fit and scale. And we don't have to say no to that brand because it's not in our tiny little wheelhouse. I say blow open the doors, plug everybody in, let's move into this new poly world, <laughs> so to speak. But you know, it's, it's a new way of thinking about it and I feel like everyone's on the verge of kind of getting comfortable with it right now. Now, Mary and I were speaking right before this, this uh, panel and we talked about the long tail. You know, when you are a limited series podcast, eight episodes, 10 episodes, and you launch it in 2015, 2014, it's still out there. People can still discover it, and there's a long tail listenership, and it, it may come up and, and hop back up. Has that been beneficial, like an IAN for long tail and podcast for revenue? Like how, how did, 
how do you put that into your business strategy of like, I want to make money, but I don't want to like loot, throw that away. It's still there. I mean, it's hugely important. Like I cannot, I cannot ever state. I think um, my, my MO in general is like, how do we make the thing as successful and make as much money at the beginning as possible, but also make sure that it is set up to generate revenue on its own so that we can keep making stuff. I mean, that's, it's, um, it's like very simple, right? Like if, 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 you, if you're like, okay, this, the next one has to make X or else we can't do it again. First of all, you're gonna run out of content and you'll have a big gap and you'll lose your audience engagement and it's just a bad idea. But it's also, I mean, it's a very challenging position for people to be in, especially when you're making expensive shows. I mean, wh what we are doing is not, you know, like I, every show is challenging to make at a, at a high level of quality or just at all. I mean, I think it's, it's very hard to make shows. When you're talking about scripted fiction shows, you're, you need, you're talking about actors, you're talking about uh, studio rates and, and bookings, you're talking about sound design, a huge level of post-production. It's, it's just it's very expensive and takes a long time. Um, so, so it's, you know, when you take a, the idea of a scripted podcast to, or a limited series of any kind podcast to ad buyers, like, they're like, ugh, well, this is going to run out before we have our budget open, or we're not sure because it's new, or, you know, it's only eight episodes, we really want something that has ongoing, or, like, the list kind of goes on because it, it, it ha looks and feels different. But for us, I think programmatic resources are, like, the future of, of the business because they are things that you can plug in. And I'm all for like all partners blowing open the doors of programmatic. I think it's it's truly like I don't you know I want everyone to work together on this so that we can make sure that we can exist to make shows, and and they will go forever. I think the evergreen the evergreen nature of scripted fiction in particular is like we've all gone to the library and checked out like you know an old Stephen King title that like it doesn't matter that it was new. It matters that we wanted to listen or read it. Um, and I think the same is true with with audio fiction. It it has a very, very long life, and we need revenue models to support that. Amazing, amazing. So when we look at the future of indies and, and how they're going to survive against these Hollywood agents bringing in Will Farrells of the world to do podcasting and major corporations like CNN who are creating podcasts and have marketing machines behind them, what is the future of an indie? Like, Do they stand a chance in the future of podcasting? Is this something that um, we need to nurture it. Does, does iHeart and Spotify and Apple need to really double down and say, you know, that we were built on the backs of independence or, you know, is it over for them? Like, are they alive? No, I, I, think, I think this new move into, you know, the, the consolidated networks need to grow, right? And so the nature of the relationships that they cultivate with creators needs to evolve to support that growth. Not everyone can be wholly owned by another company. There are lots of different ways to work together to mutually benefit, right? And I think that this, this is exactly how consolidation benefits the indie. We're at that point now where the, the resources that uh, a network has can be used in lots of ways by an indie. There's never been a better time to be an indie because we're at that place where you know, the, the networks need inventory, the networks are happy to do deals, the networks need listening, and they can't necessarily front the cost of producing all of those things by themselves, right? So, so we're exploring new ways to, to make it seamless to work with anybody who has an audience. 
because there's just that much demand for that inventory and that growth. Because again, when you, when you sit, stop back and you think, okay, what, who did the networks have to answer to? It's Wall Street, like every quarter <laughs> there's growth and it needs to happen and where is it coming from? It's coming from this renewable resource of creators that are out there dreaming up new things to make and do and who can benefit from this need themselves without being owned or having their IP taken away from them and still retaining full control of what they make. And, you know, it's kind of like a win-win for both, right? Because, you know, in the experiences that I've had on collaborations that I heard that we've had with uh, creators, I feel like, you know, we, we provide them with marketing and promotional support. We allow them to grow their audience, understanding the me media math that we are in the business of, while, to your point, they bring the creative value to the table. So it's, it's a win-win for, for both. And you know, I, sometimes I feel like, whether it's in trades or when I talk about this in my peer set, um, I feel like consolidation as a word is sometimes very heavy and sometimes also negative connotation attached to it. Uh, but I think we, we as humans always like think of what happened in video is kind of what's gonna happen in audio. And so we are like, you know, we at the bottom, at the foundational level, forget that audio and video are different mediums and not everything that's happening in video is going to repeat itself in audio. So some of the things uh, that the consolidation has brought to the table from where I sit, I actually think is beneficial mutually to all three parties, whether it's consumers, whether it is the creators, or whether it is the advertisers at the end of the day. So um, I think it's a win-win. Yep. And you know, from, from my seat, when I look at advertisers and agencies, it's the best time for audio creators to be in the space. Brands want to be around it. They're hungry for it. It's going to be a billion-dollar investment moving forward. And, and now we're looking at the marketplace as a global marketplace. People are buying inventory in the UK, in Brazil, and in Australia. So I think as the technology has improved and the ability to reach audiences around the world, instead of now having to go on the phone and call up a client, uh, ad results here in, in Dallas and say, oh, can you want to buy my show and here's my audience? We have the ability now to see, here's our listenership, here's our downloads across the world and really find ways to make it efficient uh, and, and bring that money in because uh, the inventory is needed. Uh, that's all, I keep hearing that all the time. I need more inventory. It's the holidays. I'm, I'm sold out. I need more mid-roll. So it's exciting. Um, we don't have a lot of time left. But I do want to take a few questions. I saw a few people nudging me. But any questions from the... Yeah, there we go. Oh. Hi. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm John Gaunt from Seattle with uh, Augmented City. And we do, on the B2B side, um, a five-year podcast about AI and cities, and then we also do scripted fiction. Did our first uh, our first season. Um, we're coming with from different DNA. We're coming more from a video game and a tech stack um, bias. And my question is, what new units do you see for monetizing? And by that I mean, we took one of our voice actors and turned him into a 3D avatar, and now he's working for other companies. Um, you know, as he said, he he did it as a voice actor because. AI Devon can be working while real Devon is sleeping. Um, and so my question is, as we're starting to develop more visual um, information around podcasts, and as we're moving into um, more 
kinds of community building as opposed to big audience. What type of new units do you see being generated by um, audio creators that can possibly be monetized? Thank you. Yeah, I'll jump in here. I think we're just at the very beginning of exploring the potential of audio creative. I mean, for the most part, most of the people on this stage deal primarily with you know, the mechanism that happens, you know, once the creative has already been, you know what I mean, conceived of or decided on. And honestly, if you go back in audio and even in radio, I think, you know, brands, buyers, advertisers have relied on the networks to make that for them. You know, just do a host read. It's all built in. You don't have to pay any extra. And it's, it's kind of, um, you know, it, it's kind of a perk. It's kind of like efficient and cost effective to have the host just put their whole body and soul into the read and, and you know, have it be included in the buy. I think that, you know, this is just rippling up and as more analytics come out around effectiveness, right? That's really what's gonna drive a push toward different types of units and different types of creative. You know, there is a company called Veritonic that does um, sort of A-B testing and they do some really great insights into is this the right creative for this campaign? But I think that's just the tip of the iceberg. I think there's a, a ton of room in that space to really like show us what's possible, you know? And then, you know, we can just, you know, engage it across these networks. But um, I haven't seen too much activity yet. So bring it on. It's, it's still early, right? Like I think, like Hattel was saying before, like different markets are starting to pop up, Brazil and Shanghai and, if I am a podcaster, I am not. I, I am behind the scenes. But if I don't speak Portuguese, right, how do I get into the Brazil market? I think a lot of companies, Google, Amazon, are starting to roll out technology to take, transcribe these, these audio files and convert it into a realistic voice so then we can go into networks and monetize it in different country, countries. And I think you can start seeing that with audio. The data is, is new, as, as we're saying, but I, I do think there's a world where we can share our content globally and people can consume it without having to deal with a language barrier. Uh, if I may, um, my perspective on this is also, um, I feel like, you know, like I'll give you an example. I was speaking to a gentleman earlier this morning who is from Mexico and, you know, he kind of shed light on a consumer behavior coming out of that was very interesting. While U.S. started off in podcasting as an audio medium and now is, you know, starting to see some interest in the visual side, right? What he mentioned to me is that it's kind of the reverse in Mexico because a lot of content creators just started to upload their content on YouTube. That's how they just started, just for the sake of, they, they, they were not thinking monetization. They were not thinking about making money. All of a sudden, the interest started to grow and they started to see money come through non-video channels. So in fact, in Mexico right now, the trend is reverse. A bunch of people have stuff on YouTube and are transferring off to audio. And then I am a little partial to audio, I'm not gonna lie. And I do think that while podcasting is at that realm of like cracking open innovation, um, I, I sure hope that we maintain the sanctity of the medium because I think it comes from it being an auditory medium. And there is a lot more room to grow within audio. So I'll give you an example. There could be so much innovation coming from um, voice tones 
and the type of voice tones, bringing in diversity in voice tones and languages and dialects and the ad units could bust open there and we could have so much innovation coming from there. So I am a supporter of letting, keeping that tranquility of that medium within the audio space for now. Uh, just because we've been burnt with what we've seen in the video space, so I'm a little bit nervous around that, but you know, sky's the limit. We'll see what comes around. It's a very, very exciting place to be in. We might have time for one more quick question. Anything else out there? Anybody? Hi, Adel from uh, Next Broadcast. I come from a programmatic advertising background. I have a question for Sarah. Um, you mentioned all the different platforms. There is issues with programmatic and yield for the, for the podcast. How, how do you see uh, PG, programmatic guarantee, guaranteed, impacting what you do in terms of the yield you can offer to the content producers? Because what we faced, we're able to deliver 5%. And we know the budget are there, but we weren't able to deliver more. Uh, and knowing that there is enough impressions. So how do you see PG impacting what you do with the... Uh... So programmatic guarantee tends to need a guarantee that the inventory is going to be there <laughs> in order to deliver, right? So, you know, in these extended networks, it's an in-the-moment ask. Like, we'll buy it from you and we will resell it to fulfill this order if you have it. Um, and the key is to just get enough of it there so that you always can fulfill. Um, I think you know, it, as the demand increases, that's gonna be just a good story for everyone that's participating in these. Um, to be completely honest, we're, we're just like getting into the, the guaranteed space ourselves because we have a unique situation at iHeart where we have 1,500 sellers across the entire country that are all selling geo-targeted portions of all of our inventory. So they tend to scoop it all up <laughs> and then, you know, it's like, ah, we, you know, we need some more. So it's a, it's a good problem to have. But I think, um, you know, to answer your question, where are the indies when it comes to programmatic guaranteed, they're, they're in a good place when the demand really starts to, to come in hot, if that makes sense. Awesome. Um, well, thank you. This has been really thank fun. You. Uh, thank you, uh, Sarah, Mary, Hattel. Um, safe travels back home. And if uh, you see us around, ask some questions. Thank Thanks. you, everyone. Thank you.